to talk about the continuation as Jesus is teaching in parables to his disciples, trying to help them to understand. I want you to know this morning that a disciple is a true-to-life story. We would better know it as an illustrated sermon or something that gives us visual aids and helps us to be able to comprehend and to understand better. But when we read the first 13 verses of the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, he describes the kingdom of heaven like this. He says, It's likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And they were fool, and they that were foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in vessel with their lamps. And while the broom, bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and they slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give, of, give, of, give us our oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him into the marriage. And the door was shut. And afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. For just a few moments, I want to point out some things out of this portion of Scripture that will help us to understand and help us to evaluate our own life, understand where we are in light of our relationship and our walk with God. Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven. He is describing the kingdom of God. He is trying to help us to understand and what he is using in this particular parable. Sister Susan Martin is doing a study on this. In a few weeks she's going to teach this in our Wednesday night Bible study as it regards the Jewish wedding feast. When you look at the Jewish wedding feast, it was not a wedding as we know in our culture. You know, you come to a wedding and you go through about a, a 30, 45 minute ceremony and then you'll have a, a reception with a wedding cake and all these different things and then the bride and the groom, they go off on their honeymoon and then they come back to face life and the realities of life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And a year later, they're looking at all the money that they spent on this uh, special occasion and saying, dear God, if we only had that, we could keep groceries in the pantry. But the Jewish wedding was a feast that lasted for approximately a week. But it began a year prior to that because what we would know as an engagement or a betrothal period. For a year, they would, they would, uh, they would date one another and be active in each other's life and then the bridegroom would go away. And he would be gone for a period of time, but the purpose of his leaving was that he would go prepare a place. So at the right moment and the right time, he would come back and receive his bride and then carry his bride off to the place that he had established for them, and there they would consummate the marriage. 
In this particular verse here, if you read this, it talks about the bridegroom. The bridegroom is figuratively speaking of Christ. When you look at the ten virgins, it's speaking of believers. Those who profess to be Christians. Those who profess to know Jesus Christ. And Jesus is talking here and he says that there are two categories of believers. I want us to deal with this for just a few moments now. You're going to look at me and you're going to sit there and probably try to go to sleep, but I'm going to try to keep you from going to sleep because, listen to me, folks, this is serious business. Church is serious business. Somebody shout amen. Do you know within the, in the contents and the context of the church, our purpose and our mission and our assignment is to prepare people for eternity? Are you here this morning? My job as a minister, there's two things that I want to do as a minister in this church, as your pastor. Number one is I want to make sure that your heart and your relationship with Jesus Christ is up to date. And number two is I want to make sure that you are maturing and developing and growing in Christ. It's sad today that the majority of people that are sitting in sanctuaries around this world are at a very immature stage. They are sucking on the bottle. They're drinking the milk. They cannot absorb and digest the meat of the Word. So when I began to look at this story, and I want you to see this because he says there's two groups of people in this particular parable. He says there's ten virgins. Five are wise and five are foolish. The thing that he speaks of in particular here is that the foolish went out just like the wise did but they took no oil to sustain their light or their lamp. The lamp that is mentioned within this portion of Scripture is our testimony. The Word of God says that when we come to Christ, we are the light of the world. We have an assignment. We have a a, a mandate. We have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To let our light so shine before men that the Father in heaven may be glorified. So when you look at the lamp that these uh, ten virgins were had in their possession, it was their life. It was their testimony as they went and as they lived day to day. How many of you know today we are hard pressed to find godly people letting their light shine in a dark society come on help me but when we begin to read what Jesus said and I want you to look at these people for just a moment he said they went out and they had the lamps the lamps that they were in possession of was for one purpose just like John the Baptist how many of you remember what John, John the Baptist's purpose was in the earth John said, I am not the light. I am not he, but rather I have come to light the way, to prepare the way for the Messiah to come and for the Messiah to be uh, accepted by the people of that day and time. The church, the believers today, our mission and our assignment is to light the way and to prepare the way for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Jesus said that this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the entirety of the world and after it has been preached to the entirety of the world, then will the end come. It is upon our shoulders. It is our responsibility as believers to take the light that has been put with inside of us and to broadcast it throughout the entirety of the world. I have no light of myself. You have no light. We're like the moon. How many of you know that the moon has no light and no power or source of light in and of itself? The the moon is a reflection of the sun. Just like the church, just like the believers, we are the reflection of Jesus Christ living in our heart and in our life. You know what I want to tell you this morning? The Bible says it this way. My righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. So I am clothed, you are clothed this morning in the righteousness, in the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our light, our our influence in the world is nothing to do with us, but has everything to do with him that we have to do with. Amen. So Jesus says, okay, we've got these two classifications of people. We have the wise and we have the unwise or the foolish. And he said, the wise, they are people who understand that their whole source of living a victorious, godly, influencing life in this world is because of who we have our faith in and who we are trusting. How many of you know the Bible says, I can do all things? Man, you all are quiet this morning. That's all right, I'm going to preach it anyway. The Bible says, the Bible says that this, this way, I can do all things. I can do all things. Look at somebody sitting beside him and say, I can do all things. But you have to understand, there is an attachment that goes with that. Because in and of your own self, you can do nothing. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, it is Christ working in me that gives me the power. When I accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit came and took up a resident in my heart and in my life. When you accepted Christ, He came and He took up His position in your heart and in your life. So I can do all things only as I understand that my help and my strength and my source comes from Him. And Him alone. That's why the Bible says that He supplies all of my needs according to His riches in glory through and by Christ Jesus. So the wise saint understands that we can do nothing in and of ourselves. So we make provisions. We have the oil. We have the Word that we allow to work in our life. We have come to the conclusion that without Him we are nothing and we can do nothing. Then he describes the foolish. The foolish people are those who say, okay, I understand religion. How many of you know that we don't need any more religion in the world? Come on, somebody help me. We don't need any more religion in the world. What we need today is that we need a working and a moving of the Spirit of God who transforms and changes the heart and the life of individuals. Religion will send you straight to hell. Because religion is based upon your ability to redeem yourself. You are not redeemed by silver and gold 
and by corruptible things of this world. You are redeemed by the precious blood of His dear Son, Jesus. You ought to be shouting happy. Somebody ought to get happy in this house because I could not redeem myself. Let me tell you something. We are building institutions all over this world to try to help people whose lives are completely and totally messed up from addictions and bondages to understand this. They're only having less than one half of 1% success rate. You want to know why? Flesh cannot fix flesh. If you could fix yourself, if you could redeem yourself, if you could set yourself free. Somebody said, oh, I knew people that used to be on drugs and they quit. Let me tell you something. Just because they quit using drugs does not mean they have been redeemed. People cannot fix their self. If you fix in yourself, if it was possible for us to fix ourselves and to straighten out our mess, him coming and dying on a cross was totally in vain. Are you here? And those that are foolish, those five virgins that are foolish are described as people who, who know all about religion. How many of you know that in this 21st century church age, we know how to do church without the Spirit of God? Well, you can go wherever you want to go and enjoy your dead, dry churches, but I love it when the Spirit of God shows up because you know what? It deals with a part of me that nothing can deal with. And he says these five wise and five foolish had lamps. And I want you to understand that today. The hardest thing that people to do in our society and in our church world and in our culture, is to humble themselves to the point. You know what people say when you talk to them about getting right with God? How many's ever heard that term, get right with God? How many's ever heard the term born again? How many's ever heard the term being saved? Huh? So when I think about all of that, you go to talk to people about their life and their relationship with God, and you know what you hear? I hear this all the time. Well, I'm not so bad. I am not so bad. Why do I need to be saved? Why do I need to have a relationship? You know, after all, I'm. let me tell you something, folks. I said this last Sunday. I want to reiterate this. Wake up, perk up your ears. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. Good people do not go to heaven. Can I say that again? Let me get up on my soapbox here. Let me say it. Good people do not go to heaven. Am I right? You know who goes to heaven? The redeemed, the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that have put their faith and their trust in Him and His atoning work on the cross of Calvary. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all righteousness. And once I come into that forgiveness, once I come into that relationship, now I am depending upon Him to keep me sanctified or separated from the influence of the world. And Jesus describes these two groups of people. Now watch this. We are still looking and I'm hurrying. You've got to be praying faster. And he said, the wise took oil. They took that that kept the light burning inside of their soul. While those 
that were foolish didn't bother to get anything to sustain them. Let me tell you something. Salvation is a moment in time, and it's a wonderful moment in time. But let me tell you something. It is the elementary stages. That's why when we mature, when we grow, we study the Word, we allow the Spirit of God to work in our life, and as we do so, we become people led by the Spirit of God, and, and the light that is within us should shine brighter and brighter. But the foolish didn't see the need of that. You know what I see today, Brother Butch, in the church? There is a group of people, and I'm telling you, not everybody, but there's a group of people in the true church today that's hungry for the move of the Spirit of God. Because if you study the Scripture, you understand the oil represents Holy Spirit. Gentleman that works with me, and I've mentioned him quite often, and, and, and he says he's going to come and visit with us more, but and I hope he will. But he was raised Catholic, staunch Catholic. And here about two years ago, he converted to Christianity. Here's the amazing thing. He told me, he said, I'm 59 years old. I was raised in the Catholic Church, but I never read the Bible. And, and every morning, Brother Rich, every morning that I go in, here he comes with questions. He said, you don't mind if I ask you? I said, Brother, you just come and ask me anything you want as long as you accept what I tell you according to the Word of God. That's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. If we don't know the Word, if we don't have the Spirit working and operating and functioning in our life, we can't lead anybody else. The Bible says the blind will lead the blind and they both will fall in the ditch. So he come the other morning. He pulled out his... I, I ain't quite that fluent with cell phones and all these electronic gadgets. He said... Do you know anything about that? And I turned, and you know what he had on his screen? He said, have you ever heard the term being led by the Holy Spirit? What? I said, yeah, brother, I grew up in that crazy stuff. I grew up in the Pentecostal church where they believed in the, the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit and they believed in the fire of God and they believed in the power of God. And he said, I'm hungry for it. I want to know. What do I have to do? I said, all you got to do is just ask him. He'll feel you. You all look like I'm, you all look like a, new, a calf looking at a new gate this morning. There is a thing called the working and the moving of the oil of the anointing of the Spirit of God that will take us to new heights, to new levels, to new dimensions, to new anointings. The anointing is the infusion of the power and the, and the working of the Holy Spirit. That's why you read in the book of Acts. I want to challenge you. If you ain't never read the second chapter of the book of Acts, read it. For the Bible said the day came that Jesus had told his disciples to go to Jerusalem. And I'm getting way off course here, but you hang with me. And he said he, they went to Jerusalem in the upper room and they tarried for ten days. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were all sitting. 
<laughs> Glory to God, the power, the anointing of God manifested in the life of believers. So let me move on. And Jesus said these five wise and five foolish virgins were there. And the bridegroom left to go prepare a place for his bride. And he stayed longer, if you will. He stayed longer than they expected him to. How many of you know tonight or this morning that people are sitting and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Folks, listen. This is so critical. I could preach you motivational messages that will do whatever. But the thing I want every one of you to know in this house this morning, from the youngest to the oldest, is that we have a promise that he is coming back. And he will receive us unto himself. But the Bible said that he prolonged his coming. Let me tell you something. We look and we say, well, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of the rapture thing in a terrible mess? And there's, there's chaos on every hand. Where is the promise of his coming? But you always got to keep in mind, the coming of the Lord will not happen until his purpose has been completed in the earth and has been fulfilled. Are you with me? We don't know when he's coming. You see, the thing about the bridegroom, when he left, there was no appointed day. There was no appointed specific hour. The Bible said that even Jesus Christ himself does not know the moment nor the hour when he is coming back to this earth. But rather the Father has kept it for his own self. But there will be a day, and I will promise you, when the Father is going to look at the Son and say it is time. Go get your bride. The bride is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and when we read this story, and they, he, he procrastinated. It seemed like he was gone. There was a specific day that he had to come back. Just when all things were made ready. Do you know when the Lord's coming after the church? When the last soul has been swept into the kingdom. When the mansion that he has gone to prepare for you and I is complete and ready. The Bible said in 1 Thessalonians, the 4th chapter and the 16th verse, there is going to come a shout. And the shout that's going to come from heaven, behold the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. Are you with me? Read it. Paul writes about it. He said that trumpet of God is going to sound. It's going to sound so loud that they that have died in Christ, those that are asleep in Christ, they are going to get up out of the grave and they are going to be united with us. And we which are alive and remain, we are going to be forever caught up in the air to be with the Lord. You know where we're going? We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't believe that, preacher. That's all right. Hang out here. Hang out here. Go through the seven years of tribulation, last three and a half years, the great tribulation, and tell me how you like it. Now let me close. Watch this. And while he was gone, now I want, I want to point out one thing real quick. Watch this. 
while he was gone, the virgins, the five wise and the five foolish, they slumbered and they slept. You know what? We are living in a day and a time when the church world has been rocked to sleep. Forgetting the fact that his coming can be without pre-announcement. They slumbered. We are living in the greatest age of apostasy that the church has ever known. We are slumbering, even those of, of us that, that claim to be uh, living a close life with Christ, we are still at times becoming weary in well-doing. We are becoming frustrated. We don't know what to do. We don't, know, we don't know what's going on. So we are almost to the point of giving up. And the Bible said they slumbered and they slept. And then without any prior notice, at the most unexpected time, of the day. When would that be? At midnight. The Bible says he's coming as a thief in the night. And he is coming to those who are watching and waiting for his appearing. But when you read this story, this parable of Jesus, it said he's coming unannounced. He's coming at a very unexpected time. Do you know this? Write this down somewhere in the margin of your Bible or somewhere where you can remember it. The Lord could come today before you get out of this building, before you walk out of these doors. The trumpet of the Lord could sound and the dead in Christ get up and went home to be with the Lord. Let me tell you something. He does not and he will not give you a pre-announcement of his return. He just says that you have to strive to enter in at the gate. Let me tell you something this morning. Let me, let, me, let me just get you close to where I want you to be. Because the Bible says that when he sounds the trumpet, they that are watching and waiting for his return are going to be caught up to be with him in the air. Are you with me? Huh? Death. Somebody talking about, oh, you know, when's the trumpet going to sound? I don't know when it's going to sound. Just no more than you or I know when death will come knocking at your door. I mean, you can, you can sit with loved ones and see them gasp for, for breath and, 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 and fight excruciating pain and you think death, but you never expect that moment. There is no pre-announcement. And it is with the wedding feast. It was with the, the Jewish wedding. There was no pre-announcement of when he was coming back. And let me close. Come to the music, if you will. And the Bible said the, the shout went out. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. Watch this. The Bible says that all ten virgins rose up, trimmed their lamp. Now, you see, that's, that's terminology that 
you know, unless it's an LED light and we got it hooked up to a computer and all this and power line, we don't know nothing about trimming no light. Amen? Unless you're an outdoorsman and you're a camper and you have a Coleman lantern or whatever and you trim. How many of you, I, let me just see how old most of you are. How many of you can remember the old lamps? The oil lamps. That wick that was inside of the lamp would get charred. Wouldn't put out no light. So you would take something and you would clip the wick. Well, they got up and trimmed their lamps and clipped the wicks and looked for the light, but there was no light. Why? Because they had no oil. Now, here's what most people do. Most people are trying to become acceptable and trying to make it into heaven riding on somebody else's coattail. Come on, brother. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to get to heaven because your wife's saved. You're not going to get to heaven because your children are saved. You're not going to get to heaven because you had a good grandma and a good grandpa and all of them served God. Let me tell you, because when the foolish woke up and realized they had no oil, you know what they did? They looked at the wise and said, let us have some of yours. Let me tell you, if the righteous be saved, if the righteous be scarcely saved, where shall the unjust and the sinner appear before God? Let, let me just borrow a little of your salvation. I mean, you both can get in together, can't we? you got enough for both of us, don't you? You sure? Well, you might have enough, but there ain't no way you can give it to me. Because you know what this is? This is an individual walk. Every one of us will stand on that day for ourselves. They woke up. They realized, you know, that, that's going to be a sad day. That's going to be a sad, sad day. When thousands and millions of people who have heard the gospel, let me tell you something. You, God is not obligated but to give you one time. Are you hearing me? You've heard the gospel this morning. So you know what that does? That puts you in a very vulnerable situation because God may never come knocking at your heart again. He's not obligated to. And the Bible said that while the foolish people went to buy oil, the bridegroom came and took the bride and went in and shut the door. You know what that reminded me of? You ever read in the book of Genesis when God told Noah, said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build an ark for the saving of your household. For 120 years, the righteous man Noah worked on the ark. He built the ark, got it completed. And then the day came when he said, Noah, I want you to get your sons, and I'm going to, call two, I'm going to cause two of every living creature to come into the ark. After all the last creature, Brother Bob, got into the ark, the Bible said, God shut the door. They'd never heard of rain. Because the earth was watered by the dew that came up 
from the ground. They didn't know anything about a flood. A flood was a strange word. Let me tell you, the flood, if you study the word flood, is, is symbolic or representative of the judgment of God. Just like most people today know nothing about the judgment of God. Do you know what's going on in our, in our world today, folks? Let me just throw this in. This won't cost you a dime. All of the, stat, the, the, the catastrophic events, the earthquakes, the out-of-control fires, the, 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 the droughts. Do you know that in this part of the country, this is one of the driest years? We're on the prefaces of a drought. Do you know what, do you know what happens when drought comes? On the heels of drought is famine. The judgment of God. There's only one thing. You hear me this morning. There is only one thing that is staying the judgment hand of God on this great nation of America. And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the blood bought, the Holy Ghost field, the praying church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the day will come when the church is taken out of this world. And he that hindereth, he that is holding back the Antichrist from coming on the scene will be gone. Let me close. Watch this. That's only the third time really means nothing. But watch this. While they went to buy oil, the folly, Brother Larry, with that whole concept is you can't buy the Spirit. They went to try to get them oil. And when they came back, the door was shut. Let me tell you something, people, brothers and sisters. The door of grace is almost closed. I, growing up in church years ago, can remember when you would preach a message like this and give an altar service, and people would literally flood to the altar. But now we struggle to get one person a year saved. You want to know why? The door of grace is fastly closing. The Bible says they knocked on the door. They knocked on the door and they beat up on the door and they said, let us in. We are part of the bridegroom. And I'm not going to take time to read it, but you take time and read it. In the 13th chapter of the book of Luke, there will be a group of people on that day that will come and say, have we not eat with you? Have we not fellowship with you? Have we not been connected with you? And you know what he's going to say? Sorry. I don't know who you are. It's simply because you can't get into the kingdom by your good works and by your own efforts. Jesus said, I am the door, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father. I don't know. I don't know. I know most of you. I don't know everybody in this building. But as I close this morning, I want to tell you this. Don't allow opportunities for you to prepare yourself to enter in 
to the kingdom of God. Stand with me, if you will. Father, I love you this morning. I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And Lord, you said to the wise, the preaching of the food, the, the proclaiming, the proclamation of the gospel to them that perish is foolishness. This morning, Lord, as we give moment for the Holy Spirit just to take what's been said in this service and to massage the hearts of every individual in this room. Lord, if we were asleep, awaken us. If we're slumbering, Lord, shake us, wake us up. For, Lord, we don't want to miss that day when you're coming after the church. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed and nobody looking around, I want to ask you one question. Would there be one in this building today? You would say, Pastor, if the Lord would come today, I'm not sure that I'm ready to meet him. I would be in the number of the five foolish because I look at myself as being a good person, a good individual. So I want to challenge you this morning. Make sure, the Bible said today is the day of salvation. Make your calling and your election sure. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul. Is there one? Is there one that would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not really sure. I don't know why God gave me this message to give to you. I have just given to you what the Lord hath given to me. So now you have to do with it. But I do want to do this before we close. Can we just span across the aisleways, whatever you have to do, and I want us to join hands together. And I want us to have a closing prayer this morning. You see, I look at a young generation and my heart breaks. I see young people who have great potential. But they're ignoring the call of God. Folks, listen. The greatest thing that you can give to your family is the truth of God's love. I don't know. Maybe you don't like preaching like this. That's okay. But I'm going to tell you this morning, it's truth. It's truth. What I have preached to you this morning, church, we need to lift up our head and we need to realize that the coming of the Lord is very close.